listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Christmas Eve, many years ago, I lay quietly in my bed. I did not rustle the sheets. I breathed slowly and silently. I was listening for a sound, a sound I was afraid I'd never hear. to the North Pole, of course. This is the Polar Express! from Spike TV and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Welcome, you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. You can find out all about us, what we do, and what else we do. How about that? And if you miss any of our past shows, don't forget to check out our archive page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, where you can listen to all 384 shows. I can say that now, because I'm pretty certain it's 384 shows. How you doing tonight there, uh, Tommy? Oh, I'm doing very well, Robert. Thank you. Yourself? I'm hanging in there. You know what? It's Christmas season. I'm in the Christmas spirit. So, uh, unfortunately, I don't have any giveaways tonight, but uh, I think I will have something next week, okay? So, we'll do some ringy-dingy stuff, and uh, we'll give some stuff away. Now, 
Tonight, the show... Well, I'll tell you what. After the break, I'll let you guys figure out what the theme is tonight. We're going to do something different a little bit this evening. And um, we're going to be talking about uh, some Christmas-related stuff. Okay? And uh, while we're on the subject of stuff, let's talk about uh, shows. And let's talk about... FloridaCarshows.com, FLACarshows.com. So if you want to know what's going on, be sure and check out their website. That's FLACarshows.com. So what do we got going on this weekend? Well, one of the first things we got going on is the big Strawberry Classic Cruising, and that is sponsored by the AAA, all right? And that is this December 16th. That's Saturday between 3 and 8 p.m. at Union Station in Plant City. Right here in our own backyard, we have the Largo Parade. Yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, sports fans, race car fans, yours truly, and my Nostalgic Rating Cars team will be participating in the annual Largo Christmas Parade. So, Robert, Robert, Radio Rob, if you're listening, yes, we will be there pitching candy and toys and whatever else we can get our little hands on and uh, to uh, all the people there. And it's turned out to be a pretty good show. I mean, in the last couple of years, I think we've been to just about every one. Well, we have been to every one. And uh, it's getting bigger and bigger and better and better. So be sure and check out the Largo Christmas Parade. And don't forget to stop by after the parade to our good friends over there at the Rib Shack Barbecue. They're in their new location. Get this, guys, 426. How can you forget that? If you're a car guy, 426 West Bay Drive. Think of Elephant Motors. Think of Hemi. Think of Mopar. 426 West Bay Drive. And stop by and get a great, great, great barbecue. And if you mention Nostalgic Radiant Cars, you will get a free beverage with your meal, okay, with the purchase of a meal. How about that? So that's the Rib Shack Barbecue. matter of fact, they're going to be in the parade as well. Also this weekend, the DuPont Registry Cars and Coffee. That is Saturday morning, bright and early. Get there at 6. And then Dimmit has their Dimmit Auto Group. They have their cars and coffee. So, And I believe it's also the Toys for Tots drive. So if you got a little toy or something like that, bring a little toy, even if it's a little Hot Wheels. Something means a lot to some of these underprivileged children. So that's very, very important. And don't forget, if you got to get your car really clean for all these car shows coming up, don't forget to try out Garage One. Yes, you can buy that product locally. It's made right here in Tampa by our good friends over there in Tampa. Garage One. Check out the website. Garage1.com. Okay. And let's see what else we got going on this weekend. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, on December 16th at the Amelie Theater. Actually, the Amway Center in Orlando is the Tribe. I'll be okay. The Trans-Siberian Orchestra will be uh, playing there. And then the next day, December 17th, they'll be right here in Tampa at the Amelie Arena. That's the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Now, with a little luck, we met one of the members of the band or the orchestra last year when we were at the Garage. Garage. I'll be okay, ladies and gentlemen. It's cold, so you know I can't think very well. So at the uh, Guitar Expo, now that's something that's coming up uh, in February. We generally, since we're kind of into music, or in, obviously we're into music, but we're also into musical instruments. Myself, obviously guitars, vintage guitars, and a little bit of the keyboards, you know. I kind of bang on the ivories every once in a while, as they say. And, of course, Bobby, my son, he's, uh, he's into audio and video, and, uh, but he's mostly into stage management. That's his big thing. So he's around all this musical equipment and sound equipment and audio or uh, and visual equipment i guess you would say so i'm sure if he's listening he's going to call in and correct me real quick in fact i should, probably should expect a text here any second straightening me out okay <laughs> um at any rate yeah so with a little luck we might have uh john middleton come on our show and he's the bass player for uh the trans-siberian orchestra and we met him last year at the um Guitar Expo. Now, that's coming up in February again, like I mentioned. Also, let's see what's coming up in February. Well, obviously, Scottsdale Car Week. That's coming up, and you can't miss that. If you can make it, there's, like I said, there's four events every year that I talk about over and over and over and over. Scottsdale Collector's Car Week, Amelia Island, Monterey Car Week, or Collector Car Week, and SEMA. Those are the four major events that you've got to go to, at least put on your bucket list, okay? And um, so also in January, we have the first week is the Mustang, all Mustang show or all Ford show at Silver Spring, sponsored by our good friends at uh, National Parts Depot. And let's see what else. Oh, yeah, Kissimmee. We're going to have Meekum will be there. So uh, yours truly and the rest of the Nostalgic Radio and Cars team will be there uh, on site, kind of keeping an eye on what's going on and getting up to date. 
Now, generally what happens in the collective car world is this time of year, January, particularly Scottsdale Collective Car Week, because you've got five auctions, six auctions. You've got, obviously, Barrett-Jackson. You've got Bonhams. You've got Gooding. You've got, um, let's see, uh, auctions uh, worldwide is going to be there this year, and Russo and Steel, our good friends over at Russo and Steel. And so Scottsdale, what happens is it, te- it sets the tone for the rest of the year for the collective car world in terms of values. And, again, you know, a lot of guys are saying that the market's off, and it is a little bit. I will say because 2005, fun, five, five, I'll get straight here because I've been doing some appraisals lately, and so when I'm when I'm doing my research and I'm checking into some of the numbers, particularly in some of the high end stuff, I can tell you that the numbers are off probably as much as well anywhere between 20 and 30 percent on some of the high end cars. Now the more popular cars, the rare cars, the you know the 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 the, the, the diamonds, so to speak, those cars are still holding their own, and it's hard to say what they'll do this year. You know, the stock market's still going crazy. I think it's uh, artificially inflated, but that's my position because I don't think there's anything really to support it, but that's Wall Street, you know. And the government comes out with their numbers. We don't know what those numbers are for real, but we can tell you in the car business that it is backed up a little bit. Now, as far as Camaros, Mustangs, Chevelles, you know, your muscle cars, your B-body Mopars, your A-body uh, GM cars, which is Chevelles and stuff, Cutlasses, those cars, yeah, they slipped a little bit. Now, I was just looking at the auction results for Premier Auction, and they had an auction here about uh, a week ago. I think it was last weekend down in, in uh, Fort Myers, and that was at Muscle Car City. So I was looking at some of the numbers on there, and I'm going to say that some of those cars, again, let's just say the 20%, 20 to 30% probably holds true. I mean, they had a beautiful 71, 72 Camaro RS car, factory four-speed, non-original motor, but that car sold for 18 grand. Now, again, I was looking at the pictures. The pictures look pretty decent, okay? So, but I think that's a pretty good buy because that car was probably worth 25 maybe a year or so ago. They had a 73 Z28 go through there, and, uh, excuse me, 70 Z28 four-speed car, non-RS front end. That car brought 30, okay, 30, 35 you know, it's probably good money for, for a nice driver. I'm all, whenever I talk about these cars, guys, what I'm talking about generally is, is driver quality cars. So I'm not talking about overly restored cars. Overly restored cars, I really don't pay a lot of attention to those cars because, eh, nobody really buys those and drives those. You know, the driver quality cars is one you guys buy and drive. That's one you enjoy and you go to car shows with and you take your family out in, your girlfriend, your wife, you know, your son, your daughter, you know, and you have a good time with us. So I'm all about, you know, driver quality cars. And, uh, and that's something you can kind of tweak on a little bit, too. So, you know, in those kind of cars, they have a relatively, eh, I'm going to say, you know, the longevity in terms of ownership, you know. and Because uh, generally the guy that buys one of those kind of cars likes it, always wanted one or had one. So that's that. So I think we got something on the turntable. And, uh, well, this is old enough. This might even be on the transistor radio. So if... Uh, if uh, Tommy wants to dial this thing up a little bit, our AM, transistor radios, let's play a little Aerosmith. Let's sense the... All right, now you know what it is. Now you know what it is. No, I'm not going to tell you. Listen to this song, and then the intro, and then you can figure out what tonight's theme is. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgia Getting Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back.
Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we're back. Now, now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, sports fan, Christmas goers, you figure out what the theme is tonight. Yes, 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 yes. Trains. That's exactly right, trains. So the gentleman we got coming up here in a little bit, well, let's just say he's involved in trains, but on a different scale, like as in toy trains. So, and it is Christmas, and everybody buys toys and gifts. And I know when I was a young boy, I had a train set. I was more in, more in tune to cars, but my dad... His generation, they had trains, you know, because he came out of the 20s and 30s. So trains were a big deal with kids. So we're going to talk a little bit about trains. We're going to talk a little bit about toys. And uh, so it should be a pretty interesting show. Really big show tonight. Anyway, back to the car thing. So uh, one thing I always tell people to do, too, is like a lot of these auctions and stuff, keep in mind, they're auctions. So you never really know what's going on there. You know, I mean, for the most part, most auctions are pretty decent. But some of them, they're, eh. You know, there's games that go on and stuff, so you never really know whether there's real sales because the way it really works at auctions is is they, uh, if you set a reserve, and that's the other thing I tell everybody, never, never, read me, read my lips, never consign a car with unless it's on reserve. And if the auction won't do a consignment, I mean a uh, reserve, then just, you know, pass and go to another auction because you got to set a reserve, otherwise you'll get bailed. And if they tell you to lift the reserve, say, no way, Jose, you ain't going to do that either. Just let the bid go on, and if somebody's serious, the high bidder will generally try to contact you or bump you if there was, in fact, a high bidder. All right. And here's the thing about a lot of these auctions. You know, most of them, the auction companies, they provide a pretty good venue for you to sell your car. They do advertising. So auctions, in a way, are really, really good. It's just that what happens is, is that, you know, sometimes you get caught up in it. Now, you know, when you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of cars, there's a lot of cars there. And no disrespect to any of the auction companies, because now I just opened my big mouth and got one foot in the mouth, one foot in there. But let me just finish here by saying it. Auctions are good. They're a great venue. But you got to understand, you got to look at the auctions, because the downside to an auction is, is if you, even if you have a reserve, you've got the cost of getting your car there, you've got the transportation, you've got the consignment fee. Sometimes you've got, uh, uh, you know, and then of course there's the, the sales fee, which be, could be between 5 and 10%, depending on the auction. And you've got to sit there and say to yourself, when I consign to an auction, my objective is to sell the car at the auction because it's going to bring the market value. I cannot stress that. If you think you can get more for the car someplace else, don't take it to the auction. And before you consign a car to an auction, you need to track the auctions. You need to follow the auctions. And you need to understand the market. Because generally in an auction, you know, if you take your car there and you consign it, and you decide, I want to sell the car, you can always drop the reserve, and it's going to go for the high bid. People say, oh, drop the reserve, and it'll bring more. Not necessarily. I think 9 out of 10 times I've seen people drop the reserves, and it went maybe, maybe 100 bucks or two over it. And uh, But for the most part, whatever the high bid is, that's what it's going to hammer at if you drop the reserve. That's just the way it is. But keep in mind, it's if you need to sell your car, an auction is generally the place to do it. And keep in mind, you're going to get whatever the market dictates at the time. Where I'm going with this is that once you've 
made every effort to advertise your car, let's just say in Hemmings, Old Car Weekly, or some, some internet place, or you've had a consignment at, uh, at a, at a uh, retail location or something like that, then, which is not bad. You can do that too sometimes. You have control over the sale because you set the reserve. You set the minimum that you want for the car. You know, you always say, like, I'll, this is the number I want all in. So and always, in other words, make sure that whatever you sell your car for, regardless of where it's at, it's an all-in number. That means all expenses, what, this is my net number. This is what I get in the hand, okay, after expenses. That's the number you want. You need to be clear on that because otherwise you're going to get uh, caught up in, in, in some paperwork that you won't be very happy with. So that's, that's extremely important. Um, I think what we're going to do, and, and I think, you know, we've got a couple weeks here, and I think what we might do is we might do a um, Christmas show and a New Year's show, and depending on who we have for guests, but I think probably one of these days, since we're coming into the auction season now, I'm going to sit there and, and, and almost devote a whole show to, to the ins and outs of auctions. So stay tuned for that. And uh, because, like I said, auctions are a lot of fun. I enjoy them. They're giant car shows, and they're a place to sell cars. They're a place to buy cars. There's a place to make money, and there's also a place to lose money. So you got to be real careful, and we'll talk about all that coming up. Now, I think Tommy's going to go ahead and throw something else on the, uh, on the other transistor radio we got hooked up here, wired into this uh, studio here. And then we're going to have a special guest come on. So don't touch that dial. We will be right back. I think we got a little... Now, this is not exactly a Christmas song, but I actually kind of like this. So, uh, how about a little Steppenwolf here? Magic Carpet Ride. Are you tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars? Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. There's the wreck. That big bruiser up to it. This lever puts the power winch into action. And big bruiser does it again. Comes with jack, tools, fender, and spare tire to repair the wreck. Pickup truck included, too. Get battery-powered big bruiser by Marks. And now look what's coming. press it right back on again. It's just part of the action with the world's only boxing robots. Takes two managers to handle the fighters. With these control levers, you keep your fighter in motion to duck punches. Press this plunger, he throws the right. Press the other and pairs the left. Exciting action and fun with the Rock'em Sock'em Robots by Mark. Hey, this is Tammy Edelbrock, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is an international toy sales consultant and distributor. 
And one of his specialties happens to be model trains. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Joel Wildman. Joel, how are you doing? Well, good evening. I have to tell you, we're playing that rock and socking commercial. Certainly brought back a lot of memories for me. I could see that old black and white commercial as I'm sitting here talking to you. <laughs> hey, I remember that when I was a kid. So, you know, that was, and I think I actually had one of those. Probably, yes. So, uh, oh, yeah. All right, so give us a little bit of background about yourself here. I know you're, uh, we, we, we uh, just kind of like to segue into this here. I met Joel about a month ago. I go to Renegers every so often, okay? And then, and you guys hear me talking about this. Every second Sunday of the month, the uh, Renegers has a guitars and cars kind of swap me kind of car show thing. So, you know, obviously my son and I are into music and guitars and things of that nature. So we go there. And then on the, and my wife's into antiques. So Renegers, which is located in Mount Dora, has a fall extravaganza, and then they have a spring or winter extravaganza twice in the spring, I think. I think it's February and March. So anyway, while I was wandering through there, my wife was doing her little thing with her antiques. Bobby and I were walking around. We saw this gentleman that had this beautiful display with all these really cool cars and trains and stuff. And then I introduced myself, and as it turned out, it's Joel. So Joel is up there, and so if you want to find Joel... You can find him up there at Renegers, and he's got his really cool little display. But Joel's into toys, and and but he's got an interesting background because he used to be a stockbroker, and he also used to be in the radio business. So, Joel, go ahead and uh, fill everybody in on the details. Well, I'll give everybody a short version because I don't want to use up all the time we have. Okay. But I was indeed I was indeed a stockbroker and uh, in Broward County, and I did a national talk radio show on the business radio network, which is no longer around. But back then it was, and uh, I was a stockbroker who used to specialize in toy stocks, which was an interesting, you know, every Christmas for our radio show, we'd bring in people from, you know, MoMA or Franklin Men or Toys R Us and talk about what was hot that season. And one of the people I, I met along the way was a gentleman in Miami named Jay Harwood, who happened to purchase out of bankruptcy all the assets of Mark's Toys. Mark's at one time was the world's largest toy company um, and failed. It went through several hands. It was owned for a while by CBS and then by uh, Quaker Oats and went out of business. And he bought all the assets, moved them in a big train, not a Lionel train, a real train, mm-hmm. to Miami where he proceeded to, you know, just sit on all these assets and he made a living buying and selling molds. And along came me talking to him on the radio and, you know, developing a relationship with him. In the market crash of 87, I was in need of a job. And uh, I happened to mention to him that, you know, with the market crash at that time was Leah Hutton, who was closed, got closed by the government. And he hired me to resurrect Mark's toys. And that was in 1987. So I spent the next year or so putting together those of you who are toy buffs and uh, vintage buffs will remember Mark's playset. So we put together, and I, using old molds only, put together a couple of playsets for Mark's toys. And then I got a very interesting phone call from uh, Bartlesville, Oklahoma, from Phillips. They wanted to know if they could resurrect the first Hess truck, which actually had been done by Mark's. And I contacted the Hess people who responded with a lawyer. <laughs> Hmm. No way, no how, no thank you. So they said, well, go to China and go build us a new truck. And uh, that's where the story really got interesting, because I knew nothing about engineering or design. I had never been to China at that point. Now, of course, I've gone. At one point, not long ago, I had an apartment in Hong Kong, as often as I went. But I did go looking for the mold to find it over there. We're talking about a wild goose chase, you know, crossing the border back and forth. Tracking, tracking down different leads, and the molds just don't exist anymore. And um, they challenged me to come up with a truck, and I told you very briefly the story. Uh, I found a picture of a, a vintage truck of something they wanted in the 1930s. Uh, I took it to, uh, they don't they don't have the same name anymore, Kinko's, and I worked with a young gentleman there who understood everything he was doing and took a black-and-white picture from the 1930s and gave me a three-dimensional I guess today we call it a PDF, but a presentation uh, to send to Phillips for a truck done in their colors and logos and schemes. And 72 hours later, I was out in Oklahoma picking up a check. And wow. That started my journey into the toy business. 
Joel, um, you're breaking up a little bit, so I don't know. You need to kind of stand someplace where you're. I don't know where you're at, but uh, you're breaking up just a little bit. Okay, so I just want to pass that along. We'll try this. Is this any better? Uh, yeah, yeah, a little okay. bit. Anyway, okay, so go ahead. So after that, then ha- you started going back and forth, and you kind of got into the the position where you were representing other companies as well. And um, so tell us about some of those other companies too that you uh, you 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 represent. Well, I worked for a company for a while, uh, a diecast manufacturer that I uh, actually used a couple times for uh, various projects, including a Cushman diecast that I did. Um, who was a diecast manufacturer, and in fact, they are the manufacturer. He's since retired. He was a manufacturer for a lot of the uh, Johnny Lightning um, series, for a lot of the Franklin Mint, Danbury Mint uh, cars, and uh, did a ton of uh, NASCAR uh, diecast, mostly 124th and a 118th scale. So I worked for him, not doing that, but he hired me because. He made his own toys and was looking for someone in the United States who had sales personnel, which I did, to represent him in China. And that really became my whole life story from about 1988, 89 to today, where I'm doing the same thing. I have salespeople that I work with everywhere from Canada throughout the United States, Central America, South America. And I make myself available to companies. It's really a two-way street. Companies in China, it uh, doesn't have to be from China. Some have been from Mexico and some from Europe over the years uh, that are looking for representation in North America. Conversely, I work with a lot of American major department stores, major toy retailers that are looking to have specific products made. So I act as go-between if I know a specific factory that does very, you know, something that's relevant to what they want to have made. And that's what I do. And I travel back and forth um, developing a day business to me. Obviously, the weekend business I have at Renegers. And the next two extravaganzas are uh, January and February. And then the next one after that won't be until um, the fall. So, But I go there on the weekend to avoid getting in the house for a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you have a nice display. I mean, I actually, it's funny because I always thought you were in that little corner. Then I realized you had that big corner, and there's some pretty cool stuff there. Yeah. I opened that store about uh, September two years ago. And when I opened, and this goes relevant to our conversation tonight, I was 100% trained. And after two months, realized that if I actually wanted to sell anything, I had to bring in other things like cars, cars. just a match everything from the old matchbox collection to uh, current I say current hot wheels but not really current they're more vintage still in the package and then developing anything nostalgic and vintage and I brought in some uh, old uh, toys I brought in some uh, you know just some some older stuff I've got some GI Joes I have some old Barbies just a whole nostalgic corner if you will of collectibles for people that collect toys and it, it's funny because, as you mentioned, your wife is into antiques and she's working the Renegers Antique Buildings. And where does the spouse go? The spouse winds up <laughs> coming to me looking for a guy toy. That's right. I mean, it's not that they don't have any women customers. I've few. But you know what else to add into that nostalgic theme that's become a major category for me? Believe it or not, it's beer tap handles. And, and not just for the obvious use of the beer tap. People are using them for their cars as gear shifts. Yes. Now, I, I don't recommend it. However, a lot of people like like using them for that. And that's certainly very nostalgic. And the, the names that people ask for are Schaefer and Ballantyne. You know, the beers when you and I grow up as well. So oh. there's a constant nostalgia theme that runs through the entire flow of merchandise at the store. Take us a little bit through, um, you talked about Hot Wheels and Johnny Lightnings. So right. let's, if they, how do they come up with the finished product? Does somebody at the, let's just say the Johnny Lightning factory, for lack of a better term, sit there and go, okay, we need to have this car, this car, and this car. How do they determine what cars they want made to be able to sell to the public? Okay, the process would go something like, yes, somebody at Mattel, using an example of Hot Wheels, mm-hmm. is got to say we have to produce 36 cars 
and six colors for 2019. There's 2018 projections that's already been set. So they'll sit and they'll go through, okay, fine. How many of those, what percentage of sales are strongest in absolute pure vintage cars? How many would fit into more of the resto mod category? How many do we want to do that are just pure fantasy cars? So let's let's now just break that down on a what if because these things really happen to say okay we want to focus on 1950 Chevys and we want to do these in these various variations. So they'll then go to General Motors and uh, more likely than not they've already have a blanket license with General Motors to produce these cars. They'll have to do artwork to get approved by General Motors which usually happens if you're a master licensee, but they could find something offensive that they really don't like and tell you not to do that car. It happens. Uh, it's happened to me at one time when I worked for Finns. In fact, we had a Ford license, and they were really insistent upon doing things the way that they wanted, uh, which is interesting in the car world because the same car is not the same in market to market. There are variations uh, in Europe and Asia and North America. You take a company like Mattel, which is global, they really have to settle on a very specific design and get it approved by uh, Mattel. So once that is done, they hire a mold maker. Uh, A mold maker, there are a lot of them in the New York metropolitan area. There are a few in L.A. Of course, the toy industry has moved west over the years. And there are several in Hong Kong and, and India. Normally, they'll just use somebody that's done before. And I happen to know a gentleman... It's probably made about 50 different matchboxes over the years. He would do the, the models. And once the models go through the same approval process, you know, they're not painted. They're just absolute uh, clay models of what the car would look like. And today, I would also add, they can do a lot of that with a 3D printer. But that's only been the last couple of years. But you had to go build a model, and that model would be sent to Mattel, who would then send it to General Motors, who would either approve it or, or make a, a modification to it. Fine. So at that point, that model has to go to a factory to be costed. And to be costed means every specific part needs to be calculated. Just take a little matchbox car, a little hot wheel car. How many molds do you think it takes to make that car? And if you start breaking it down into wheels, tires, axles, front bumper, back bumper, body of the car, normally had doors, operating doors, windshield, some of them had replica of what a um, convertible top would look and snaps into the back. And you still have something that's going to have to sell for under a dollar. So, because that's what they were. They were 79 cents. Or when you and I were young, when I was young, it was 29 cents. So this was, this is the process. And from then on, the process is back and forth between the factory and the folks at Mattel. So they get the car looking exactly the way they want. And then tools are made. Uh, actual uh, die cast. Uh, in the case of Hot Wheels, bycast tools, where the, the product has to be poured and manufactured, and then it has to go through the painting process, which is, a, again, a separate process. Um, and it's really difficult when you get into the NASCAR area. You have all those little decals that have to be replicated in the paint. So they try to keep that. You keep in mind, everything you do to a car adds cost, whether it's a penny or two pennies or 0.6 of a penny. When you're selling something for 30 or 40 cents to a Toys R Us or name your favorite retail or Walmart or a Target, you've got to make sure that costing is well under control. And you need a person, or in the case of talking Mattel or a big company, you have departments of people that are familiar with the process and have to go back and forth uh, to make sure that the factory is doing it right, that there's no leaf shortcuts. Because you can, you can, whether you're using a factory, and I would say this, I know it's a blanket, but I would make it anyway. Regardless of where you're making it, factories try to save money and do shortcuts. And you have to be on top of the, every step of the process. Every step. And then ultimately, the orders get manufactured, and then they're set to be tested. Uh, testing is compliance area. is very, very tough to these less. I'd say 10 or 15 years, it's been very difficult. It's not only for lead, it's now for contaminants, it's now for uh, different paint colors. It's very rigorous. 
So normally before a car goes into mass production, or any other toy for that matter, it is sent to a very rigorous uh, testing regime, and then ultimately manufactured completely and shipped. And then you have to keep your fingers crossed that it sells. So it's not a very simple matter of, gee, I'm sitting in my office and I want to make a 57 Chevy. Uh, do I want to make a black and white or do I want to make a red and white? Do I want it to be a convertible or a sedan and go do it? There is an awful lot that goes on behind that uh, that decision and actually to get it done. And I have witnessed of all the things that can go wrong, I've had everything that you can think of go wrong. It's like that uh, farmer's insurance that <laughs> my very first my very first project. And this is a true story, which was my mass project where I oversee that entire process uh, while I was at Mark was for a Phillips Petroleum, a Phillips 66 truck, to be sold um, during Thanksgiving of uh, 89. And they ordered, it was a very, very large order for Thanksgiving. And I'm looking at November 20th, the order wasn't done. It was late. They had to fly it over and to ship it over. We're looking at that time was in excess of 50,000 pieces. And they arrived. And guess what? Every license plate on everyone was screwed on upside down. Oh. Yeah. So you have to be a person who's not only nimble, but can think through solutions. So the manufacturing process is a reason why there's so many people involved. And in this particular instance, it was just me involved. And it was my first project. And needless to say, I learned a lot. <laughs> but, you know, you find solutions. You, you sit at a desk or in your brain in the middle of the night, hey, maybe this will work, or maybe that will work. And then the next day you try to execute it to, to everybody's satisfaction, and you, you get it done. And these things happen all the time. How many times have you been, you know, just not even a, a, a maybe a buyer, but, you know, casually here on TV that, you know, there's been a recall of a toy because something is on wrong or it's the wrong color or she's not wearing the right clothes or all that kind of stuff, and it happens. So the toy business is not as simple as going down the aisles of a Walmart or Target or Toys R Us and picking out a toy. There's a lot involved in the, in, from the sourcing, the compliance, the manufacturing, and then getting it into a child's hand. And then part of, as you and I walk down the aisles, we've got to remember that if you're the manufacturer, you're trying to sell an adult buyer to buy that toy for their retail establishment. Well, we'll know he's going to wind up in the hands of a seven-year-old. That itself is a major challenge. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's not something that's doable. Obviously, it's done every day of the week um, in all parts of the world. But it's what makes my job fun. I mean, I do this every day, every week, Monday to Friday, and the weekend I have my fun at Renegers. But I still do this every day. Uh, right now, I'm working on a chalk project for a major U.S. retailer. And it's just, it's not simple. But simple, who needs simple? I mean, it's not easy in, easy out. It's using your brain. It's using what you know of the manufacturing processes, the things that can go wrong, that do go wrong, and how to avoid as many of them as you can. But making your life fun, being a little kid, and, and having when all the um, trials and tribulations are over, and having that finished product in your hand, is a very high sense of happiness. Joy, fun, and those are the reasons I've stayed in the toy business for the last 30 years now. Let me ask you questions. Okay, so let's just go back to, I have three questions. One, I want to ask you what master license means. Not for okay, me. General Motors. Mm -hmm. A master license from General Motors would be, uh, you go to them and say, I want to make Ford, okay? But I don't want anybody else to make Ford. And they'll say to you, well, we have a lot of people making Ford. But we'll give you a license for Ford 1950 to 1980. I'm just giving you an example. Right. And then you will be the, la the master licensee of Ford for that 30-year period. But within that also, what scale are you going to build? Are you going to build Hot Wheels, you know, 124s, 118s, 112s? So it, it, when you go after a license, you have to know what you're asking for as well. Because no one's going to say to you, okay, I'm General Motors, and we're going to give you a license. Five million dollars and go make all our cars. So the license that doesn't that, that, that doesn't exist anymore. Okay, so the license to manufacture something is issued by Ford, GM, or Chrysler. Do I understand? Correct. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. All right, and then a master license 
gives me kind of exclusivity on a certain, let's just say, range of cars. So from 1970 to 1980 or 1965 to 1966. And then the scale, which would be 143rd, 118th, 124th scale or whatever. But all that has to be specified because that is all encumbered under the master license. Right. So to take that to its next step, because this happens as well, you're, you've now changed hats to your Mr. Hasbro, and you have the master license for Star Wars. Everything Star Wars. But when you go to the store, not everything you see is made by Hasbro. As the master licensee, they have the right to sub-license, if you will, to other vendors. So that's why you see something other than Hasbro on a Star Wars item, even though Star Wars has the master license. They then turn around and resell. Same with Disney. So, I mean, you get a Disney license, you can only make a Disney product that they specify. You have a Star Wars license and your Hasbro, you are a master licensee, and therefore you can turn around and sub sublease or sub rent out or however you want to use to another toy company with the approval of Hasbro to make that Star Wars item. Okay. So, in other words, as an example, to, to throw some names out there. So, I'm Hasbro. I have a master license from Star Wars, but I could sub out to Ideal, Kenner's, or Mark's if they existed. Is that the right? Okay. Gotcha. Or today, Jack Specific, or, uh, you know, any of those, you know, manufacturers, MGA, which now is part of Hasbro. But, I mean, yes, you would take that license and be able to lease it out for a specific product to somebody else. Okay, now a lot of the die cast, it's made out of, it's kind of like a mixture aluminum of some kind, like a cut rate aluminum, so to speak. So the cost to I make a, pardon me? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say cut rate aluminum, that wouldn't apply anymore. Okay, well, uh, well, I don't know, because we use die cast on cars too, so it's kind of, but right. it's you can't weld it or take it or anything like that. So it's, we always kind of, in the car world, we call it kind of cut rate, but nevertheless, so the, the, the aluminum or the, the die cast versus building a plastic model, is there a big difference in cost? Um, similar. Similar. They both, they both require molds. Okay. Interesting. Well, because, you know, the, the plastic is petroleum-based, you know, and it's tied to that market, and right. aluminum is tied to, you know, aluminum. And uh, so I was just curious about that. The process from the time, the, 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 from the time that you conceptualize a car— to the finished product package hanging on the Walmart shelf. How long does that take? Um, it should take six to nine months. Six to nine months, really? Yeah. You know, essentially we're talking about this, and just like you said, you know, as you and I are walking down the, strolling down the aisles of Walmart, Target, or someplace like that, or any other toy store, Toys R Us, or something like that, we totally take for granted what all's involved in and in, in the time and the effort that's uh, that it takes to have that uh that nice little toy car hanging on the shelf there or any of the other toys. You know, it's funny because recently, as in a couple of weeks ago, I think I, I know I mentioned to you that one of my main projects right now I'm working in is crafts and activities. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking, I'm walking through Costco it's where we shop as well as Publix. But I mean, we're in Costco and they had a craft kit for 1999 that had 1500 components and a license. It was the Disney princesses and the boys was in cars. And I start working backwards from the retail price, knowing what Costco margins are, as I've sold them over the years, taking out the freight costs, and you scratch your head and go, they're selling this for no profit. <laughs> There's 1,500 items. Forget that it may only be a piece of cardboard. It still has to go through paint and through testing. Every component has to get tested separately for paper, for print, for ink. You name it, it has to be tested. And it's just... You know, I, I have that additional jaundice eye when I walk down the aisle. How did they do that? Because I know what's involved. And every once in a while, you turn the corner in a store and I'll see some. Oh God, that's really that's really beautiful. You know, and and to you know, to admire somebody else's work and what they put into something to get it to the shelf, because it amazes me, knowing the rigors of the of the toy industry. And we and have. You can take the, go ahead. I was going to say we have two minutes left. Just, real quick. Your thoughts on, is it possible that anything can be made in America cheap enough to be competitive with what's, with, with, with what's being made uh, overseas? Plastic, yes. I don't think die cast. 
Plastic, and yes. The reason, okay. is, the reason is that a plastic mold, and I know some people, including Jay Horowitz of Marx, who's now manufacturing in Mexico. And while Mexico certainly is not American wages, it's way higher than Chinese wages. Um, I would say a Chinese worker today is making about 4 or $5 an hour. Mexico, it's about 8 And here, of course, it's 15 to 20 in a factory. So I, I know the plastics can be done. Certainly, plastic itself is the same price globally. It's a commodity. Um, a die cast is just... When I think about the cost of painting um, a car, whether it be a Matchbox, a Hot Wheel, or a Lionel train, um, it can be very, very expensive. And I think that's one of the main areas that would separate uh, manufacturing here from not manufacturing here. And I think the last, there may have been another one, but I think the last die-cast factories that were in the United States were in Iowa. And I don't think they've produced in years. I could be wrong, but I, I haven't seen anything in years. Well, Joe, we're up against the clock, so why don't you go ahead and give out some social media info or, let's say, for example, information. If you're selling a product, how can people find out about you? Real quick. Am I, uh, I'm not very socially inclined, as, a, as meaning as Facebook or any other stuff, but I do have a, a wonderful easy email, which is trainplural407 at AOL.com, and you're certainly welcome to call me. My phone number is uh, easy to remember once you get to the uh, email. And I'll tell you what, if you're collecting something, you can give me an email or a call, and I'll let you know if I have it or what it would cost to get it. And I look forward to helping any collector out there with their collections. Super. And you can be found every weekend at Renegers, right? Every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Renegers, and the indoor building G is in good boy. All right. Well, Joel, thank you very much. Merry Christmas to you. Look forward to seeing you again next time I'm up there. Meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Video and Cars here on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Don't forget to tell your friends every Tuesday night. Hey, don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. You can find out all about us. Don't forget to visit our podcast page or archive page, Nostalgic Video Cars. Don't forget to go to some of the car shows. Big shout-out to our friends at Auto Parts Distributors. They got new parts right down here on Clearwater. In the meantime, see some of the car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. 